CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, Ben, still, seriously, with these election results, why are you cutting them up now? I just love cutting paper. Hold on. Here we go. Love cutting paper, ladies and gentlemen. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, November 6th. It's just moments away. But before we do that, let's thank these following unions for sponsoring our podcast. Unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150 are sponsors, as well as our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Live stream chat, what is happening? Brianna, Frank, and Frank has sent our song of the day. Ben, your song of the day comes from one of your favorites, James Brown. It's I Feel Good. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm almost there, Frank. I'm almost there to positively feeling good, although if Lauren Underwood wins, oh, this song will really go. I feel good. I knew that I would. Now I'm doing the little guitar. That's the guitar in the background. <laughs> Sound like a turntable. Oh, now I'll do it like a turntable. I feel good. <laughs> I knew that I would now. That's the bass. That's Bootsy Collins on bass. All right, off to a fine start. The Ben Jarofsky <laughs> Show starts now. It is Friday, November 6th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. on the program it's another Romana rundown with Chicago Sun-Times editor Romana Hussein and now your host he's no editor but he's a damn fine columnist <laughs> Chicago reader columnist Ben Jarofsky Hello, everybody Ben Jarofsky here we're calling this thank you Stacey Abrams Friday and here's why well, it looks as though the fingernail biter is coming to a close. At least the voting and the vote counting part of the fingernail biting. Litigation still on the horizon. We'll be talking about that with Jimmy Coogan, Ace Attorney Jim Coogan. Uh, sure, I think we're dropping that tomorrow. Anyway, but in the vote counting category, as I write, Joe Biden's ahead in Pennsylvania and Nevada and Georgia and Arizona. His margin is falling in Arizona, but it's rising in Pennsylvania, Nevada, and Georgia. So it's just a matter of time before one of those states puts him over the 270 Electoral College threshold, and he's declared the winner. Our next president, Donnie's gone. Yes. To quote James Brown, I feel good. But just to get you down to earth for one moment, I need to point out that Biden has already clearly won the popular vote, up by more than 4 million the last I looked, and it's probably gone up since I stopped looking. So America remains the only so-called democracy in existence 
where you can win by losing something we first learned back in 2000, which we ignored only to be reminded again in 2016, only to ignore it again. Every time I mention it, liberals get mad at me. They get mad at me for even mentioning it. Ben, those are the rules. Electoral college is here to stay. Ben, get over it. Ben, that's how we do it. Ben, (laughs) always get mad at me. Liberals. I don't know. You see a massive injustice. You might want to do something about it. No, no, Ben. Concentrate on suburban white women. Come on, Ben. Swing voters in Wisconsin. Man, if the Electoral College was the other way around and Republicans were the ones losing, we'd be so close to passing a constitutional amendment to change it, or they'd be shipping Republicans out of Florida into Illinois to push it back to red. How about that? How about that as an idea, Republicans? Why don't you start bringing in, let's see, what's that? Get them from Alabama. You got a ton of Republicans just lying around Alabama. Can you imagine that, D? Here comes Republicans from Alabama driving up north to flip Illinois to red. Watch. They'll do it. Democrats like, oh, no, I don't want to leave California. (laughs) Anyway, so yes. Back to the good news. It looks like the people have decided to oust Donnie Trump. But man, why do I have so many misgivings at this moment when I should be so happy? And I'll tell you why, folks. Because like, I don't know, 69 million people voted for Trump. 69 million Americans. Donnie Trump got more votes than any other presidential candidate in history except Joe Biden. But you get the point. It's time we stop pretending that 2016 was a freak. Time we stop blaming Hillary Clinton for running a bad campaign, which she did. Time we stop blaming James Comey for weighing in at the worst time, which he did. Stop blaming Vladimir Putin for interfering in our election, which he did. Stop blaming Bernie Sanders. He didn't do anything wrong. He's the one guy in this equation who did nothing wrong. Stop blaming him, liberals. And stop blaming Bernie Sanders voters. And stop blaming the left. If you do that, I'll stop blaming the Chicago Tribune's editorial board for endorsing Gary Johnson. (laughs) Don't think I'm going to do that anytime soon. The point is, the time has come for us to face reality. MAGA loves Donald Trump. They see who he is and they are not repulsed. Quite the contrary. They want more. MAGA with Trump is like me at the macaroni and cheese counter at Country Buffet. I just can't stop piling my plate with more of it. Fried chicken, too. Oh, this place is great. I'll have more mac and cheese. <laughs> that one's for you, live stream chat listener Doogie. Yeah, can we just take a moment for me to pause? And... Silence here for Country Buffet. I love Country <laughs> I go to that macaroni and cheese counter. I know what mac is like. I'm like, give me more. Piling it on. Yeah, I should be more specific when I say MAGA loves Donnie. I'm talking about white people. Yes, I'm speaking to you, white America. You love Donnie. You love his act. You love it when he makes fun of people, when he mocks them and taunts them and pretends as though he's making things great. When you know he's just making things miserable. You love it when he gathers you together in these big groups on these airstrips and mocks the notion that you wear masks so you're like just breathing the virus onto each other. And you proclaim, that's liberty. You love it. Yeah, you actually love it. 
You love it when he makes other people miserable. In fact, Maga, I go so far to say you hate us so much because Donnie hates us. Ah, it's so freaking deep. It hurts. So I'm going to try to be a little more helpful. I'm going to try now not to be so pessimistic. So I'd like to say some thank yous. So on behalf of all the white lefties and all the white liberals and all just the sort of the reasonably sane white people in America, thank you, black voters. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for saving us from ourselves again. All that BS about black men voting for Trump, all that BS about Ice Cube and 50 Cent and Lil Wayne and Lil Pump, well, that must mean, Ben, that black men everywhere are voting for Trump. Just saying. All those black guys who don't want to pay taxes so they endorsed Donald Trump and his tax breaks didn't mean jack when it came to the election results. I've been taking a, just a cursory look. I'll take a deeper dive the, over the weekend, but I think it's like 97% of black voters in Chicago, 97% voted for Biden. When I saw that outstanding vote coming out of Pennsylvania was in Philly, I knew it was over. Same thing in Georgia. And that's where I have to take this moment to thank Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams, you know this. They stole that gubernatorial election from you in 2018 by kicking black people off the rolls. What did Stacey Abrams do? She took a break. She licked her wounds. And then she went right back to work registering voters. I think, you know, almost at the point, I'm not quite here yet. We're like, as a punishment for being so stupid, they should like make white voters take a timeout for an election cycle. You don't get to vote for being so stupid. <laughs> sort of like my suggestion for pensioners on the Northwest side of Chicago who voted against the fair tax because they don't like Pritzker or because they love Trump. Uh, guys, what about your pension? Hello? Huh? <laughs> Maybe you got to take a break because you're doing such a bad job. You have to take like an election off, think about things a little bit. Uh, maybe now. I guess that's not going to be too practical. Anyway, just want to thank you, Stacey Abrams. You stood on the soldier, shoulders of so many people who went before you. Dr. King, Rosa Parks, Fannie Lou Hamer. Never have so many owed so much to roughly 12% of our country's population. We got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein is here, and I just talked to her, D before we went on air. She is fired up. Fired up in a big way. Uh, talking about the election that just went down, uh, her thoughts and feelings about it. She shares some of the same feelings I do. Uh, little misgivings about the 69 million to vote for Donnie. But uh, let's look on the bright side, onward and upward. Uh, Romano Sane will be here with Talking Politics, and, you know, she'll have her recommendations, uh, do a little Kim Fox talk, all kinds of good political talk before we do that. The young man from Alton. The man that Ice Cube fondly calls Dr. D with the news. It's not true. How's it going, everybody? I'm Dennis. Before we find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois for the fourth and final time this week, guys, we need to talk about this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. We do them every weekend, everybody. They're available by 5 a.m. And wherever you download podcasts, go look for them online right now. J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. We haven't spelled your last name in a while. 
It's a little wonky. So for those who are new to the show, J-O-R-A, V is in victory, S-K-Y. All right, here's this weekend's lineup on Saturday. It's the return of the ace attorney, the legal eagle, the one, the only, <laughs> the cougar, Jim Coogan. Uh, we talked with him last night. Ben, give everybody a little preview of uh, what to expect. Well, here's the, th- the great thing about uh, Jim Coogan. The guy really does his homework before he comes on the show, or just knows his stuff anyway. And so we went through a case. We were working for the assumption uh, that Biden was going to win. Uh, even when we did the interview, it looked pretty obvious that the they they were the the, the nervous Nellers were just too concerned to call it already. Uh, but that the the outstanding vote in Pennsylvania, uh, in Nevada, in Georgia pretty much guaranteed that Biden would win the real election, which he'd already won because he won the popular vote. Let me just remind you that. So then we figured, all right, how will Donald Trump try to steal this uh, at the courthouse? How will he try to get judicial appointees uh, to take an election that the popular vote went to Joe Biden by about 5 million? I don't know where it's at now. I haven't looked in a while, but pretty strong numbers and take the electoral college uh, election that was for Biden as well, try to figure out a way to take away votes from Biden, give votes to Trump at a great enough number that he wins. Right now, that's what they're trying to figure out. And it's some kind of face-saving, judicial, you know, quasi-reasonable, legitimate, legalistic explanation. So we went through all the different claims that by, uh, Trump would make, and then we started analyzing the Supreme Court as to whether they would fall for it. So it was a pretty interesting deep dive. Very dispassionate. I kept my cool and calm D. I didn't go berserk and bananas as I'm known to do. I let uh, Jim Coogan, our ace attorney, uh, make the evaluations. And then we did a little riff at the very end about uh, Judge Kilbride in Illinois and what that was all about. Yeah, I really didn't pay nearly enough attention to that debacle, but uh, he explains like what's at stake if the Republicans seize control of the Illinois State Supreme Court. So, you know, really fascinating, dispassionate discussion from the great, the legendary Jim Coogan. All right, and on the road to 270, it's 264 Joe Biden, 214 Donald Trump. Live stream chat, weigh in. When do you think we find out? Tomorrow, Sunday, tonight? When do we find out who wins this thing? Ben, when are you calling it? When do you say we finally get the final results here? Uh, well, hmm, that's a good question. They're so nervous. They're so nelly. I'd say uh, Sunday tomorrow morning. No, I say tomorrow morning. I'll, I'll wake up and people, yeah, man, woo! They're just holding. Pennsylvania's going to put them over the top. Um, but I say tomorrow morning, and then of course the lawsuits start getting fired. Yeah, yeah. lawsuits. Yeah, I'm playing. <laughs> I'm going the long game. I say Thanksgiving. How about oh, well, that, huh? I don't think they'll be still counting votes by Thanksgiving. I think the litigation definitely, definitely would. Oh my God, the litigation could be going at Christmas. <laughs> Donnie, still, come on! I put you on the court, Kavanaugh. Yeah, bum. Livestream oh, chat, weigh in with your thoughts here on uh, when do you think this thing will finally be called once and for all, and uh, we'll read your comments later on. Sorry, Ben. No, I was just going to say, if Kavanaugh rules against Trump, man, I think Donnie's going to, his head will explode. I put you on that. Was it for me? You wouldn't have been on there. You rule against me? No, he's going to do like a, uh, it suddenly turned into his inner Marlon Brando. I don't get this. I put you on there. 
That's the worst. <laughs> Guys, I'm not even going there. That's the worst Marlon Brando movie. Even yeah, I that was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. Yeah, I'm not even going. D, I started it. I go, uh-uh. Not, not doing my Godfather invitation. <laughs> oh, I love you, Dennis. <laughs> oh, Dennis, I don't understand. By the way, we haven't heard, we haven't heard the old uh, Bill Clinton in a while. Let's hear that. That's probably your best one. Oh, God. I love Dr. D. Dr. D. Yeah. You know, Donald Trump. Whoa. Come on, Donnie. You got to give it up. You got to let it go. I hope you. Brett Kavanaugh. Hillary. <laughs> there it was, guys. Nijarovsky's Bill Clinton impression. Stellar stuff. Still your Trump-a-crack. best one yet. <laughs> I can do the Trump. For some reason, I hear the Trumpocrat guy. I don't know. I'm a Trumpocrat. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh. Every now and then, I'm trying to do Clinton. All of a sudden, the Godfather comes out. Something's going. It's like haywire. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to do all these impressions. Yeah, I think I think we're just ready for the weekend. I think that's honestly what's going on. Isn't there a song? Ready for the weekend? Isn't uh, that a song? Everybody's working for the weekend, I think you're talking about. Oh, my God. You're good. You're good. That, no, no. You're good. Who sings that song? Farner? Farner? F-A-R-N-E-R? <laughs> Farner? Yes. No, I don't Farner? know. I'm not sure. I'll find, maybe Eddie Money, I believe. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Eddie Money. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, live stream chat. Wait, I don't want to look it up. All right. Uh, speaking of the live stream chat, here is Steven's prediction of when this thing gets called January 20th. <laughs> so, who was it? Somebody, when we were talking about this, I'm losing track. I've had so many conversations. Like, what if Donald Trump doesn't leave the White House? There's that, you know, that's, I guess, what Stephen's getting at. Who is it that asked me? What if he doesn't leave the White House? Well, it's if they the Supremes have ruled against him. Uh, the voters have clearly rejected him. Someone's job, it'll be someone's job to, to escort him out of the way. Uh, Donnie, you got to leave. Come on, big feller. Come on, big guy. Let's go. And then uh, Biden will walk in. So, yeah, maybe Stephen's right. Maybe it won't be over until someone escorts Donald Trump out of the White House. Jim says prime time Friday night tonight. Joe Biden wins it. Could be. I mean, but realistically, the win will not be finalized until the courts have rejected Donald Trump's exceedingly bogus and contradictory claims. Jim Coogan and I break down the inconsistencies of the claims uh, Trump is making. So, but yes. Your point is well taken that the real victory will be declared either tonight or tomorrow when Pennsylvania comes in. Uh, and then, of course, Donald Trump pleading with the judges to uh, steal it for him. So that drama will be unfolding over the next couple of weeks. And one more comment from the live stream chat. Uh, Radio Doogie says, RIP, Old Country Buffet. So. Yeah. Just a moment for me to reflect, D, on the um, sweet potatoes. Like the sweet potatoes. <laughs> I don't know if you ever had the sweet potatoes at Country Buffet. I, I haven't eaten at Old Country Buffet since I was a kid, so I don't really remember it. Uh, well, I haven't eaten there since about the time you were a kid either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm a lot older than you, so my memories, I was older when I was, I was, I was older than you are now. When I was enjoying the delicious macaroni and cheese at Country Buffet. On to our Sunday 
Benny J bonus interview. This will also be available at 5 a.m. We're just going to play our three-hour Election Day extravaganza, all right? We had a great time doing it. It was election night. Uh, ben spoke with a lot of reoccurring Ben Jarofsky show guests. Uh, ben, if for those who didn't hear it, tell those uh, folks what went down. Oh, my God, that was fun. You know, I'm really glad I did. I want to thank – there's so many uh, guests that come on this show that just really great sports and friends of the show. And uh, I started making the calls, D, about, what was it, 4 o'clock Tuesday? And they were everybody, everybody's like, yeah, I'll come on. I'll talk about it. David Ferris, Jacob Kaplan, Stacey Davis-Gaste as DG, Robert Peters, uh, Rose Colosino. God bless you, Rose. Indivisible, right on. And um, Maya, Maya Dukmasova and Tracy Bain for the reader came yes, on. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, there were some people. It's interesting. It's like a, a, a moment in time. David Ferris, the moment in time. David, who's usually so upbeat, was really down. And uh, so he was just going through because he had been predicting uh, that uh, Biden would win. It was just a really interesting moment in time uh, to hear him reflect upon, like, as he's, you know, he's got a serious mind. Uh, Ferris thinks really uh, for a long time. He's a real smart guy. He thinks about, like, the trends and where we're going. And it's pretty clear, pretty obvious uh, that there's a, a huge flaw in polling in America. And it's it's time. Um, other people are starting to weigh in on this. Uh, but Ferris was coming face to face with that because he was relying on polls when he made his predictions. And uh, so there in real time when he was talking about it, he's like, well, it's not coming out the way I thought it would. But ultimately, David, it, you were right. Ultimately, you're right. It just took a little time. Uh, but anyway, so it's a great gl- moment in time that the, where people were uh, and, you know, how uh, people went from being dejected to being hopeful to being dejected again. Stacey Davis Gates at the end coming strong, you know, urging everybody, you got to get out there. This is just a one shot deal. You just don't show up and vote once and then call it a day. You know, the movement for justice, fairness, all that's good takes time who who was i talking to about this it was uh, a basketball fan i was saying like some people go into a gym they shoot shots and they just keep hitting the shots i go in an election it's like there's someone guarding you so you're just not like just shooting shots you got to shoot shots in the face of opposition someone waving their hand in the air so uh, SDG, Stacey Davis-Gates, she uh, and Robert Peters closed out the night. It was 11 o'clock, D. We were still going strong. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, just to, to ride that wave from the beginning with Maya, just between you and me, I think Maya was knocking back a few. Okay. She had a bunch of friends over. Oh, yeah, let's right. keep that Hey, secret. hold on. <laughs> Start the show over. <laughs> and Tracy that out. came on. <laughs> I don't. Tr- Tracy wasn't knocking. I think my okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, quite a roller coaster uh, election night. It's a lot of. It'll be uh, interesting to go back and listen to it. It's our three-hour election day extravaganza. Uh, beautiful weather on Sunday. You know what I mean. Go outside, take a walk. I mean, stay the hell away from everyone if you can and listen to our three hour election day bonus. All right. And Monday, Ben, I believe it's Carlos Ramirez Rosa. Is that right? Yeah. Carlos, he, he put something on his uh, Facebook wall that I noticed and I immediately called him. I just got on that horn. Uh, and he, he was 
uh, talking about, <laughs> you know, like that I got on the horn. All right, uh, let's get this. Team. Oh, it sounds like I hear the horn blowing over at your place. All right. Phyllis, stop calling. Now, this is just getting ridiculous, okay? Ever since Phyllis won the fair tax thing, she calls up and trash talks me. Huh, eat my socks. Whoa, Phyllis, my socks? It's shorts, isn't it? Whoa, uh, who cares? Whoa, <laughs> eat my socks. I'm going to start saying that, though. Phyllis! Now, you know what? Gloating does not look good on you. I won. Oh, where's Ice Cube? And you know, Phyllis and Ice Cube are cutting an album together, you know, there you go. <laughs> and I think Donnie Trump will be singing in the background. He's kind of going to have a lot of time on his hands when the lawsuits are over. Uh, anyway, Carlos Ramirez Rosa uh, put out there that, uh, you know, it's time we start, it's time for reflection on the part of de Democrats. Don't just point the finger at everybody. Just think about what, like, we could do better going down uh, in the future and just, a lot of interesting things like he was pointing out that some of the analysis in the early days of uh the early days we're two days into it you know it's like time has no meaning anymore you know what i'm saying it's like the election was in another century uh but uh, you know that the knee-jerk reaction that so many democrats have they love fighting each other you know it's just like some mainstream democrats it's bernie's fault bernie they're still mad at bernie bernie Bernie, from the moment, from the moment it was clear that Joe Biden was going to win, Bernie endorsed him. In fact, the real hardcore Bernie supporters are a little irritated with him for doing that. And yet, still, some mainstream Democrats are going to blame Bernie. And they're like, don't mention democratic socialism again, and don't talk about defunding the police, and... You know, so it's just, can we just like think about things, really ponder, give a moment to reflect? So Carlos and I will be reflecting and uh, we'll be having a, <laughs> a good political, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, young guy, D, young, young fella, but he knows his stuff. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. All right. Tune in to hear some good reflection on our Monday <laughs> Benny J bonus interview. That'll be available at 5 a.m. as well at wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Okay. It's time for the local news. Yes, there's still a giant bus waiting outside for our Democratic Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan to be thrown directly under. And it looks like we have a couple of new passengers boarding on. Yes, the election is over and Illinois Democrats are finally ready to come across the aisle a bit and spill the beans. OK, we admit it. Mike Madigan's pretty greasy and he's got to go. That is correct. <laughs> Wait, is that DB? Yeah, it was Darren DB Baylor. weighing in? That was Darren Baylor. The DB's like, please don't leave. Are you kidding me? Please stay, mad dog. <laughs> now, we saw this coming over the summer, though, uh, when utility bigwigs ComEd admitted to arranging jobs, contracts, and payoffs to Mike Madigan Associates. It was our theme of the summer, Madigan Gate. Quite a few Democratic politicians in Illinois spoke out and called for the resignation of Mike Madigan. I guess we'll call those the ones with functioning ears and eyeballs. <laughs> By the way, they're all on the bus, too, guys. They've been waiting for this damn thing to take off since July. Isn't that right, Ben Jarofsky? Yes. I have flip-flopped so many times uh, on Michael Joseph Madigan. I have absolutely no idea where I am right now. Uh, 
you know me. If, it, if I see everybody going one way, I tend to go the other way. So I'm probably going to go, stay, Mike, stay. But the reality is that Michael Joseph Madigan should have left the scene as soon as J.B. Pritzker was elected governor, in my humble opinion, upon reflection. All kidding aside, you know, I appreciate Michael Joseph Madigan so much for standing tough uh, those four years of Bruce Rauner. But by the end of Rauner's reign, it was pretty clear that Michael Madigan was going to be a liability to the Democratic Party. And just for the good of the Democratic Party, it was time for him to say, you know what, guys? I've had a great run. I'm going to turn things over to Dennis, Dr. D. He's going to run the party for a while. Hey, guys, how's it going? <laughs> We're all screwed. But, hey, we'll get, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. Uh, no, there's some capable uh, folks who could run the party. You know, so sometimes you just got to step aside and let's, let somebody new come on in. And particularly at this moment, when you're such a liability, clearly. And everybody knew that. But, no. That's he's not cut that way, D. So those first uh, the first chorus of people who said he should step aside emerged. Remember uh, uh, with the uh, sexual harassment stories? Oh, yeah. Those are the radio days. Yeah. And that's when I first said it. Got to go, man. (laughs) May have been one of the reasons I was uh, exited from that radio station. Who knows? Uh, That may have been your first flip. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was my first flip. It was my first flip where I go, you know, come on, this is really embarrassing. He was sitting on uh, these uh, allegations. Not, beyond allegations, the evidence was there. Uh, so, but uh, he tried to, you know, he did what he could He uh, to patch it up. He fired a couple aides, you know, he, uh, he put the, convened various task force to study it. Uh, Elena Hampton, uh, they try to kind of go on, shh, 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 just kind of push her out of the, hey, can you just be quiet for a little while, Elena? You know, can you just go away? Uh, and then, of course, um, once Bruce Rauner was off the scene, once Rauner was gone, there was no counterpart uh, to Madigan in the Republican Party. There was no one symbol of just, in the case of Rauner, what? utter incompetence matched with arrogance and uh, just cruel indifference to the suffering of others, you know, and his determination to destroy unions. He was going to shut down government so that like really good not-for-profits that help people who really need help couldn't help them. I mean, it was like Scrooge running government. So compared to Rauner, Madigan looked pretty good, you know? It's like when Dennis stands next to me, people are going, my God, you're a good-looking guy. And uh, <laughs> That happens when I stand next to anybody, pal, all right? <laughs> oh, that's true. My God, who's, who's that a handsome guy in that hat? Uh, it's a purple hat today you're wearing, D. I've never seen that no, one No, it's before. blue. I think it's just uh, put it in the washer, so I think it's <laughs> a little purple now. <laughs> so, yeah, once Ronner was there, once Ronner was gone, Madigan didn't look so good. DB, Darren Bailey. Jim, J.D., Jim Dirk, and all the Republicans. The only thing they could agree on was pile on Mad Dog. That is correct. Pounding them. Yeah, here you go, D.B. That is correct. <laughs> and so, you know, the Dems are like, they're so scared of him. He's got so much power. They got this word they call it Madagoons. Oh. Like, that's the, yeah. I like that. You, learned, you like that. Well, it, just sounds, it just sounds catchy, you know? Yeah. 
little inside stuff. Damn, I'm telling you how the game's played, huh? You want to hear how the game's played? I know the players in the game, Benny. You want to know? <laughs> that's, a, that's an old imitation. Uh, it's going back. Anyway, these are people that Michael Madigan has appointed, or not literally appointed, but, uh, you know, he got them their jobs in state government. And so it's like everybody's, whis- you got to whisper, like, you look over your shoulder. Is that a Madigan guy there? Am I getting in trouble if he hears what I say? You know, so it's like, it's real. It's real palpable. You know, like they're afraid of them. And I like when I got, I remember when I got fired at CPT, there was like people, oh, it's because you spoke out against Madigan. Remember that was one group of people, right? I go, no, I don't think it was Madigan. I mean, I, I get along pretty well with Steve Brown. That was Madigan's press guy. I don't think it was him. But that's that fear. It's like, oh, Madigan got you. Went too far. So there's that, it's a general fear that's throughout the Democratic Party about defying Michael Madigan. And so that's why they put up with it. And they pretend that they don't see what's right in front of their face. Some of our good friends of the progressive persuasion. Oh, can we talk about something else? How many times do people say, uh, Ben, I'll come on your show, but don't ask me about Michael Madigan. Okay? <laughs> yeah, that has happened. Don't ask me about Michael. Let's talk about the Bulls. Can we talk about the Bulls? You know I'll talk about the Bulls anytime, ladies and gentlemen, at the drop of a hat. So, yeah, people are scared of him, David. There were a few brave souls. KC, Kelly Cassidy, I see you, uh, who boarded the bus early. But most of them are like, uh-uh, <laughs> not going to be that, ah, my beloved Democrats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so back in July, a few Democrats were calling for Madigan to get lost. But Madigan later went on and essentially said, hell no, I won't go, saying <laughs> saying that this whole comment thing is something Republicans have cooked up in time for the election. And this is only an attempt to distract us from beating Donald Trump on November 3rd. And our top Democratic bigwigs in Illinois seem to agree. Hey, he may be greasy, but he ain't stupid. (laughs) But it's now November 6th. Looks like Joey B. Joe Biden is going to be our president. And damn near every Democratic candidate with Mike Madigan's name attached to them lost in Tuesday's election. What do we have to say now, Mr. Speaker? We do have a statement, but first, we need to welcome our newest passengers on the bus that is anxiously awaiting to figuratively run over our Illinois House Speaker, Mike Madigan. Our first new member boarded yesterday. He's our Democratic Senator, Dickie D. Dick Durbin. By the way, Durbin, you forgot to pay. Thank you. Uh, he still thinks that uh, seniors can ride for free. Yeah, apparently. You know, from the Blago days. <laughs> okay. Uh, Trumpocrat. Dick Durbin was on WTTW this week, and he told Parachutes, quote, all across our state, and the advertising told the story, we paid a heavy price for the Speaker's chairmanship of the Democratic Party. It was really disconcerting to see the price that we paid on that. I hope he takes to heart and understands that his presence as chairman of our party has not helped. It only took one day for the rest of the pack to follow. And, Ben, we have a new member to welcome onto the bus. Let's welcome the newest member here. Ben, watch out. I got to open the door. (laughs) (laughs) Big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. That's the spirit. It's Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. (laughs) 
Governor Pritzker on Thursday said that Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan should step down as only chairman of the state Democratic Party, agreeing with the state's senior U.S. senator that the longtime political power broker's implication in a federal bribery investigation hurt Democrats in Tuesday's election. Now, remember... We got a grumpy governor on our hands these days, all right? His fair tax proposal did not pass on Tuesday. And quite frankly, he's looking for someone or something to blame at the moment. Here's the quote from Pritzker. Quote, I agree with Senator Durbin that opponents were able to tap into voters' concerns about corruption and their lack of trust in government. The Republicans and the billionaires that sided with them were able to use the speaker as their foil. And that hurt our ability our state's ability to get things done. When asked if that meant he supported new party leadership, J.B. Pritzker said, yes. Okay. Wow. Well, first of all, the two elections that they're alluding to, the two most important ones, I would say, were the fair tax and Judge Kilbride. And I talk with Jim Coogan, if you want to get a really good lowdown on what what, uh, that Judge Kilbride election was all about, I urge everybody to check out uh, my interview with Coogan. Uh, Judge Kilbride is a Democratic uh, judge on the Supreme Court. He was up for retention. He needed 60% to be retained. Uh, Kenny G and the other uh, Republican gazillionaires in the state kicked in uh, enough money to run an exceedingly uh, unfair campaign against them. But that's politics, folks. There's nothing fair about it. Uh, in which they literally tied him to Michael Joseph Madigan. And yes, Michael Madigan uh, is exceedingly unpopular uh, in the state of Illinois, particularly outside of Chicago. Even in Chicago, like Democrats are a little queasy about him. Uh, And part of this is the effort, as uh, J.B. Pritzker was alluding to, Uh, that's been going on for the last eight or nine years to turn Michael Madigan into the chief villain. Michael Madigan, as I said many times, does not help his cause with his, I'm staying behind the scenes, I don't speak, I only eat apples for lunch routine. He should have, in my opinion, if he wanted to stay on, if he was determined to stay on, he should have stood up and fought. He should have taken a page from MAGA. I told, bit him a little more like Trump. I know that's. Remember yesterday I was drinking the MAGA Kool Aid. D was it was a bitter brew, but um, yeah, I should have done it. Should have fought for himself. He should have uh, defended himself. He shouldn't have just like stood hid uh, away from <clears throat> the public and depended on Steve Brown and other uh, press spokesmen to speak up for him. No. Should have gone on TV shows and radio shows. You should have declared, you know, this is who I am. This is what I stand for. This is why I do it. Should have been doing that for the last four years. It's a little late now. This this like Wizard of Oz thing, the power behind the throne, like the Madigan, the Madigan mystique. What's he doing? Like for years, I've been hearing reporters. What's Madigan up to? What does he really want? Let's discuss this and more. Yeah, well, that game doesn't work in the age of Trump. So uh, he just laid back, did the Europa dope, they pounded him, uh, and now he is a liability. And the fair tax went down. The debacle about the fair tax initiative, I, I, the more I think about it, the more irritated I get. We've, 
It was so simple. Why should Dennis and Ben and all the rest of you broke people out there pay the same tax rate as the owner of the Cubs? Who was it that came on the show and said that? that Robert would be Peters? Robert Peters, yeah. Rob, make Robert Peters the chairman of the Democratic Party. Pride and joy of High Park, Mount Carmel High School. So he said it. And that moment, Dennis and I looked at each other like, yeah, that makes sense. Dems, it's fair. Let's be fair. The system's not fair to anybody. (laughs) Fair. Oh, my God, Illinois, you and fair. Fair is like reform. Reform means taking money from somebody and giving it to somebody else. That's what reform means in Illinois. It generally means taking money from middle-class people, working people, and poor people, and giving it to Kenny G, who doesn't need it. Oh, let's reform. Just like when you give $2 billion to Amazon. Oh, that's economic development. So, yeah, the fair tax initiative was a debacle. And part of the reason is because... The elected officials, the Democratic elected officials realized that if they were to loudly champion it, it would hurt it. That was number one. Number two, many of them were cowards and they didn't want to endorse publicly a tax hike. They didn't want to be blamed from it. They didn't want to be blamed for it. So it was a combination of thinking they would hurt it and a combination of thinking that it would hurt them and they largely ignored the issue. They left it to the, a group of community activists and lefties to push it. And so I'm not surprised that it went down to defeat. And Michael Madigan is a part of all that. I mean, I, before I was cheering him on for standing up for unions against Rauner, he was the one who was not advancing the cause of tax equity in Illinois. He was the one who was stifling it because he didn't want it to hurt his constitu- his caucus members. We all know what was going on. So, yeah. JB's a little he's a little grumpy right now, D. <laughs> I mean, I don't blame him. He put his neck on the line. He he put his money up for it. He didn't run the greatest of campaign. I acknowledge that, but at least he was there. At least he tied it to himself. The other's like, oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, JB. You're, you're alone in that one, JB. Democratic Party in Illinois, I don't know. D- reflection time. Come join me and Carlos as we do reflection time. What do you stand? What do you believe in? Like, what are your values? Just getting reelected year after year? So I... I uh, yeah, now Mike Madigan's the piñata. They all want to bash. Oh, let's blame everything on Michael Madigan. <laughs> let's always get a scapegoat. Uh, let's, let's, that's, here, here comes another flip-flop, D. Here oh, I go again. <laughs> you know, if they're all running that way, I'm going the other way. Okay, so you are for Madigan. Stay put. I can't remember. But maybe by the end of this newscast, <laughs> I could be flipping again. Well, we do have one more passenger to welcome onto the bus. The bus that we're anxiously awaiting to figuratively throw Speaker Madigan under. Ben, watch out. It's Illinois Senator Tammy Duckworth. 
Just hours after Pritzker's statement, Senator Tammy Duckworth echoed Durbin's and Pritzker's concerns and took it a step further. In calling for Madigan to step down from his two leadership roles, not just the one Pritzker was talking about, Duckworth says both party chair and House Speaker. Duckworth said the federal investigation swirling around the Southwest Side Democrat is, quote, an unnecessary distraction and the party should, quote, consider new leadership. Now, I have Madigan's response, but first, Ben, tell us your thoughts here. Pritzker, Durbin, and Duckworth all calling for the resignation. Any surprise on Duckworth? No. Let me put it to you this way. The three people think about this, D. Uh, First of all, let's think what they have in common. One, they're statewide. All right? Now, Durbin's a little safe because he's got another six years, but they're statewide. That means they have to, they have to uh, get the votes out of Diber country. Our good friend Bob Diber, by the way, a gubernatorial candidate from Madison County, should have voted for him. Anyway, neither here or there. They have to get votes from uh, Diber country, from Trump country. So they're more vulnerable. You know, even Kelly Cassidy. She's not going to be suffer. She's in a really liberal, lefty, progressive district. So pe- folks there aren't going to like turn against her because of Madigan. But you know, you run a statewide, you got that concern. Secondly, uh, having said that, they're independent enough. They have name recognition. They have the ability to uh, raise money. Like Tammy Duckworth's profile really rose the summer deeds. You recall when uh, Biden was considering uh, naming her as his running mate. So she has the ability to run without Madigan's support and win without Madigan's support. And nobody will be challenging her from in the Democratic uh, primary from Madigan's forces. You know, a lot of Dems are like, I can't say anything. Madigan will run someone against me. Uh, That was always a fear in the past. Uh, So the three of them. Pritzker, Durbin, and Duckworth don't have to worry about that. So I'm not surprised. You know, I mean, it's a little late in coming. <laughs> you know, like, might have wanted to hear this. Could have been helpful back in 2018 with maybe a quiet phone call. I mean, but, D, this goes back so long. I mean, I'm going to, I know some of my younger listeners, but Lisa Madigan who was Michael Madigan's daughter, exceedingly popular politician, had to give up her ambitions for governor because Michael Madigan wouldn't step down as House Speaker. He couldn't have two Madigans. You know what I'm saying? Like Speaker Madigan and his daughter, Governor Madigan. And so who gave, who, who backed off? Lisa Madigan. She was very popular in this state. And um, so this has been going on a long time with Democrats in the state of Illinois. So now, all right, three people who have really well protected, they're acting like it's, you know, wow, such a brave move. Uh, no, Tammy Duckworth has nothing to worry about by speaking out against Madigan. So no, D, I'm not surprised that it's these three. You get what I'm saying? These three uh, would be the ones, if you're like, a state rep and uh, you're running in a district where you need all the help you can get well maybe that you know maybe you'll little be a little more reluctant to speak out against Madigan but these are three very powerful uh, politicians in the state of Illinois so I'm not surprised all right on to Mike Madigan's response Madigan said quote or maybe through 
a PR guy, Steve Brown, quote, I'm not going anywhere. I'm proud of my record electing Democrats who support workers and families and represent the diversity of our state. Together, we have successfully advanced progressive policies that have made Illinois a strong Democratic state with supermajorities in the legislature. Illinois is in the anchor, in the blue wall that has been reconstructed in the Midwest. And I look forward to continuing our fight for working families as chairman of the Democratic Party of Illinois. And that uh, was a statement issued by Steve Brown, my good friend Steve Brown. Is that correct, D? Yeah, I believe so. More than likely, right? Yeah. I mean, in other words, it wasn't Michael Joseph Madigan himself. Like, you couldn't push a button and we would hear Michael Madigan say it? No, I don't have that, no. Like, right now, for better or worse, mostly worse, all worse, if we wanted to hear Donald Trump's defense of his insanity, you could push a button and we would hear, um... No collusion. Uh, they're all liars. That's a terrible Trump imitation. I don't know what's got into me today. Like the imitations are not there. You can push that button. Like, but push the button for Madigan. No, no button to push for Madigan. He doesn't talk. He hides behind. He's the Wizard of Oz. Why should people stand with you if you won't stand for yourself? I, you know. You got, if you, if Michael Madigan gave a press conference, every reporter would, you know, think about JB and the campaign. How many interviews did he do? People asking the same question about the rate hike. And he just had that big smile on his face and words would come out that said ABC, but really said, I'm not going to tell you no matter how many times you ask me that question. And I'm going to keep this smile on my face. And how about those Eagles? But at least he went before the reporters, right? And even then, I was complaining. He didn't do enough of it, let's face it. But he did, and more than Madigan. You know, I don't know. In this day and age, D, I don't know. How in the world do you think you can hold on to your political power or be a, a force for good for your party if you're just hiding in a back room? If you're hiding in a back room because you just have this habitual need to withdraw and not share your thoughts with people, that's one thing. If you're hiding in the back room because of that and because you don't want to have to answer really embarrassing questions about corruption cases, that's a rough combination to deal with. And if you want to look, it didn't stop Donald Trump. Donald Trump was impeached. Donald Trump is facing multiple investigations. I mean, if he is uh, actually ousted from the White House, I mean, he's lost the election, but if, if he's not protected and preserved by a coup-like judicial decision coming down from the Supreme Court uh, and the rubber stamps that he put on the Supreme Court, he's going to face the reality of an indictment, maybe a arrest, maybe thrown in jail. So he, you know, he's facing serious stuff, but he at least comes out, says absolute garbage. So in this day and age, D, that that's that that's st- reading a statement it's, as opposed to listening to the man's voice says it all. And you know who's the happiest guy in the world? DB, Darren Bailey, Republicans. It's like, yeah, more pinata. Put it up there, baby. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, we destroyed the fair tax by using Madigan as a pinata. <laughs> 
Thomas Kilbride went down because of Madigan. That is correct. Betsy Dirksen went down because of Madigan. That is correct. Lauren Underwood is holding it well. Lauren Underwood, they that that was just pure racism on Oberweiss's part. They are flying to Kenosha, driving to Kenosha. But they also threw Madigan at her. They threw Madigan at Sean Caston too. They'll throw Madigan at anyone. So if you're not going to defend yourself, uh, then you should step down. It's one or the other. You know, either defend yourself or just leave. So there you are, the latest on Madigan Gate and a silly little bus theme to go with it. <laughs> ben Jarowski, before we move on, there's a seat over there with your name on it. You on or off, bud? First of all, let me just say this. I was driving a damn bus long before any of them were on it. Uh, now when they get, everybody else gets on the bus, you know, I think I'll defend the guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like getting on any bus with anyone. I like to walk. Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) But let it not be forgotten in 2018. Did you go to the J.B. Pritzker Academy of Ducking and Dodging? That was excellent. Yeah, you know, I told J.B. a thing or two. Look, Best concert? Yeah, Steve Miller Band and the Eagles. (laughs) Uh, way, Way to take a tough stand. All right, now let's talk uh, the news in the city of Chicago. Good afternoon, everyone. Oh, good afternoon, Mayor. <laughs> I thought you were going to do that. I will take your car. I will throw you in the jail. Uh, I haven't thought about Lori Lightfoot in a while, D. What, what's the latest? Well, no public event scheduled for Mayor Lightfoot this afternoon, but the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Nadir Issa. The headline reads, Lightfoot confident CPS can safely move forward with in-person learning despite huge spike in COVID-19 cases. City officials said Thursday they feel comfortable moving forward and planning for a phased in return to Chicago public schools classrooms despite a dramatic rise in COVID-19 infections that has pushed the city and state to record high virus speed. Mayor Lightfoot and City Health Commissioner Dr. Allison Arwadi painted a grim picture of the city's pandemic outlook at a news briefing on Thursday saying the situation is worse today than it was in the darkest days in the spring. Even so, Lightfoot and Arwadi said they remain confident they can safely send students and teachers back to schools when the time is appropriate. The district announced plans last month to send preschool and some special education students back to classrooms sometime during the second academic quarter that starts Monday, but no return is expected next week. Neither the mayor nor Arwadi would set a date for a potential return. All right. Wow. That seems like these conversations uh, about going back to school in the middle of the pandemic seem like ancient. You know what I'm saying, Dave? We've been talking about the presidential elections for so long and Mad Dog and uh, fair tax, et cetera, so forth. Come oh, the good old days. Pandemic conversations. By the way, in that article, does it say uh, that when she had her statement that representatives of Chicago Teachers Union were standing with her? Let me look here. No, don't see it. Mm-hmm. And did it say in that article when she made her comments that Troy LaRavie from the Principals Association was standing with her? Let me look here. I miss luncheons. Um, <laughs> no, nothing. Nothing. I miss luncheons. Oh, there you go. That's, that's Chicago, man. What a weird city. What a weird freaking city. 
So the mayor said it's darker days than ever. It's so bad the restaurants and bars can't open. It's so bad that she's really upset that people, family, we got to reconsider that we let our family members in our house. You know, but don't worry, we'll open the schools. And the people who actually go to those schools and potentially be exposed to the virus, like teachers and principals, they're not there. They're just going to be told, go back. So my attitude hasn't changed in this D from the get-go. You got to work together. Isn't that a collaborative effort? We're all in this together. Isn't that what we're always told? T-E-A-M. Together, everyone achieves more, right? Team. We're a team. I, I never heard that before. But oh, yeah. really? Like when, 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 when Lori Lightfoot uh, makes a decision about the restaurants, does she do it without conferring with Sam Toya, head of the Illinois Restaurant Association, the pointee that she put on the zone? But no, she talks to the restaurants. Why isn't she talking to SDG? Why isn't she conferring with Stacey Davis Gates? I don't get it. Like, there's something weird about Chicago politics. It's just, of course, a city where we're permanently divided. Well, we're just going to replay the 2019 election over and over again. So, yeah, uh, I keep saying this. When the NBA opened, in fact, the NBA, the National Basketball Association, a little sports reference there, D, just announced that... Um, they will be getting their season uh, December 22nd. Adam Silver just doesn't say, the season starts. <laughs> no, uh, December 22nd. No, oh, they've been working with the uh, Players Association for weeks. Players Association has to sign off on it. Uh, they've already given their uh, the first preliminary um, sign-off. So I just don't understand why we don't have the same sense of camaraderie here in Chicago permanent enemies and then you got the Tribune weighing in whatever you do Mayor Lightfoot do not listen to the teachers union what a weird attitude we have in Chicago and I know why where the Tribune's coming from they want to as much as they can demonize the Chicago teachers union so they can undercut any issue that the teachers union champions like progressive taxation like putting a cap on TIF handouts to corporations that don't need it. So I understand where the tribute's coming from. I'm a little disappointed that Lori Lightfoot would seem to share some of those attitudes because I remember Lori Lightfoot on the campaign trail, D, and she was a lot more progressive sounding back in those days. Remember those days, D? So a um, little disappointed that Stacey Davis Gates or Troy LaRabie were not with Lori Lightfoot when she made that announcement. In other words, that there wasn't a sign that they were working together. And I know you're disappointed, but hey, things change, all right? I won't just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out, and I'm going to make you walk home. That is correct. All right, everybody. That is your local news. Uh, 
Send us an email if you'd like. If you want to reach out to us, BennyJShow at gmail.com, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show, at gmail.com. Uh, leave your name and where you're from if you'd like us to read it on the show. That'd be very helpful, and we'll try our best to do that. You can call us. Leave us a voicemail. We played Doogie's voicemail yesterday. We're waiting to play more. 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. And you can always find us online at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. All right, let's take a little break here. And when we come back, editor of the Sun-Times, Ramana Hussein will be joining us. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. We are live from my apartment and Ben's attic. Don't go anywhere. Good afternoon, everyone. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Every Friday, Ramana Hussein, editor columnist, Chicago Sun-Times, joins us. She's been joining us every Friday for as long as we've been here. Uh, Ramana, first of all, welcome back. Welcome back, Cotter. Hi, how are you guys? Uh, hanging in there. And let me, folks, let me tell you something. I wish we were recording uh, my pre-show planning phone conversation with Ramana because <laughs> she was on fire. And I said, look, Ramana, don't douse those flames. I want to hear that fire. I want to hear that roar. I want to hear it. Uh, and, and then on top of that, ladies and gentlemen, usually you hear about how I gave a homework assignment to Ramana. And this time the tables were turned and she sent me an article, which I have dutifully absorbed and I have in front of me. So we're going to take it point by point. It's a breakdown by ethnicity, race, gender, income, uh, <laughs> about who voted for Donnie uh, Trump and who voted for Biden. And oh, just a summation is white people. <sighs> Not a good night for white people. All right. Let's just start with the most general reaction that you have. Ramana, to what went down on Tuesday. Go ahead. Um, I was uh, definitely not shocked by the numbers we had turned out. Um, a lot of projections or a lot of polls said that Biden was going to take it. Um, they, none of the polls said that it was going to be like a landslide. But I don't know if a lot of people who are paying attention to the polls or really believe the polls thought that it was going to be a several-day stretch of finding out who our president's going to be. So I, I wasn't shocked. I, I really thought, I, I as I mentioned to you before, um, I know that there was a lot more Trump support than people had expressed. I mean, just anecdotally, I wherever I saw Trump signs, uh, I felt like compared to 2016, the signs got bigger and more bold. And I, I told my husband this, I, I did feel a lot of white people, um, even in the cities, wouldn't say that they were voting for Trump, but they're secret Trump supporters. I, I, th- I, I really do believe that. And, you know, obviously there's other people who voted for Trump, but I do think there was a lot other people, including people of color. But I do think there was a lot of white people who don't want to say it openly, but they were going to support Trump when they went to the polls. Yeah. In other words, uh, there's uh, two types of Trump voters. There's the great majority of Trump voters 
who pound their chests, wear their MAGA hats, show up at rallies, cough in each other's face, uh, and uh, yell at anybody who disagrees with them. Uh, and then there's what you call the quiet Trump voter who uh, <laughs> maybe a little in- embarrassed to be seen with yeah. that horde but i, I really was, think that in the yeah. cities i think that i think that's definitely true in the cities well i could tell you this that in the city of chicago the one that i studied i'm going to do a deeper uh, analysis uh, donald trump uh got about 12 percent of the vote do this off the top of my head so it has it was unchanged uh from uh, 2016 yeah and uh, so Chicago remains a very blue city. The bubble that I live in is a very blue bubble. But on the fringes of Chicago, uh, the northwest and southwest side, it was red. And um, and he also got uh, in the center of the city, his vote went up where the wealthier people live. So there is some MAGA in Chicago, no kidding, fooling ourselves. But that secret vote that you're alluding to uh, is the one that I... I find disturbing because, Ramana, just think, comment on this one. Like Trump, you could say in 2016, all right, well, you know, we don't know. We don't understand who he is. Let's just try something new. But by 2020, we knew that this guy was a freaking fascist. And 48% 48 of the people in this country voted for him. It's kind of scary. Yeah, and and, and I said, um, and I was talking to you earlier, anecdotally, I mean, I can tell you every, almost every single white person I know has a relative who voted for Trump. Um, And when I mean relative, um, you know, sometimes it's their parents or a sibling. And when it's not in their immediate family, it's an uncle or an aunt. So it's like, there's, there's like, looks like only like two degrees of separation between, you know, all, you know, including white people who are talking about how woke they are. I mean, they have a lot of Trump supporters in their families too. So I'm just saying anecdotally, I thought I knew that there was a lot more Trump supporters than people thought. And, you know, in 2016, a lot of people were like, well, you know, people wanted something new and um, I'm going to take off my reporter's hat for a second and just say that I don't know how anyone could think that Donald Trump was fit to be president. <laughs> um, put my reporter's hat back on. But that's just and I, I've expressed that in, in columns, too, so I can say that. But, um, you know, I know there's a lot of, you know, reporters trying to understand why people would vote for Donald Trump and. Now, are you going to tell me, I don't want to see these pieces, same stories four years later. I think it's clear. They know who Donald Trump is. And they voted for him. Yes. Anyway, they liked yes. him. MAGA likes Donald Trump. And I I watched that uh, display of a press conference. I You know, every time Donald Trump does something that just breaks all the rules of protocol, like in the debate, what he did in that first debate was just such a defiance of all the rules and he gets cheered and rewarded yesterday. He goes on TV and just lies. I mean, political did the analysis of boom, boom, boom. This is a lie. This is a lie. This is a lie. Oh yes. And MAGA cheers him. Yeah. I think a lot of uh, news organizations yesterday, they were live streaming his comments. And then as soon as he opened his mouth and started saying, you know, that the, you know, the votes, the vote count was illegal. This was wrong. And he was cheated. Um, I think a lot of news organizations actually just stopped live streaming it because they were like, there's so many lies within his, um, 
you know, it, within his commentary. And I saw one one uh, journalist who I follow saying that this is something journalists should have been doing for the last four years. I mean, we have had a lot of stories that have fact-checked Donald Trump. And I think there was it the Washington Post that had, you know, was telling the lies that he was, yeah. that he had spouted. So there are people who are, are keeping tabs of this. But it's interesting because a lot of people who are Trump supporters always talk about uh, patriotism and about, you know, keeping American values the way they were. And they talk about being, you know, loving America. But it's interesting that when Donald Trump goes against what the rules are, for this country, they still support him. It's 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 just it's interesting. You know, he's telling everybody to stop counting the votes. Now, how American is that? I, I don't see how anybody could see that as patriotic, but because they like him and they think he espouses what they believe in, a lot of his supporters, you know, they're you know, him saying that, they're gonna go out there, they're emboldened, you know, to stand outside where people are counting votes to go and scream and say, stop the count. Yeah. Let me just uh, make one quick uh, amendment to what you said. Uh, he's only asking for the votes, vote counting to stop in states where uh, he was leading. Yeah. He, on the other hand, is very much encouraging the continuation of the vote count in states where he's losing. Okay. And furthermore, in a state where he has lost, he wants a recount in Wisconsin. So He's all over the map when it comes to counting. When I'm behind, keep counting. When I'm ahead, stop counting. Like, why don't you just declare yourself the president, okay? That's, you're all, you're the only one who gets to vote, Donnie. That's it. <laughs> well, I think, I think, I think, you know, I mean, this is mostly about his ego. I don't even know if it's about the country. I mean, that's what I gather from him, but knowing who he is. And it's like he calls everybody else losers and he just doesn't want to be seen as a loser. I think that's he's going to do everything he can to, um, you know, fight this. He's not going to go easily. All right. Now I have my homework that I did. I dutifully did. Thank you. And thank you very much for sending it to me. It's it's pretty good job. Uh, It is a breakdown from AP. of, And this is exit polls. Who voted for who? And I, I begin this by saying. Uh, that I'm very suspicious of polls these days. So this is on a poll. And that's why I do, I'm going to be doing my reader analysis. I do every uh, four years or every election year, actual votes, like in the city of Chicago, actual votes so that I can make determinations uh, that are more, uh, I would think, accurate than a poll. Okay. That said, this gives us uh, some general you know, parameters that we can work within. Uh, So I'm going to run... buy these uh these the results by you and get your response i know you're gonna have some interesting responses first of all in in the uh, category of gender yeah um 52 of men voted for donald trump this is just everyone yeah black men white men asian american men oh men 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 okay uh 52 voted for donnie they love him uh and among women 55% 55% voted for uh, Joe Biden. So the gender gap continues. Romana, your general thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's not that big of a gap, right? But um, at the same time, I, I was listening to a podcast a, a few minutes ago before I started uh, my work day while I was on my run. And they said that Donald Trump in general appeals to men more because of his, you know, just a swag, I guess, I guess you would call it swagger or is like, you know, 
perceived macho-ness. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, they were they were talking to some, like, um, professors who were saying all across the board, Trump has always appealed more to men. It didn't, dep- it didn't matter on the race. Like, every racial category, there was always more men from each group mm-hmm. that supported Donald Trump. Yeah, it's really... Uh bizarre subset of existence that I have to ponder a little bit. Yeah. Um, how you feel more macho because like it's, it's, it's what it's like a manly thing to do to make fun of people, uh, you know, to taunt them and tease them and appeal to racial animosity somehow or other that's macho and manly. Got to really th- rethink America. What is macho and manly? Just throwing that out there as a suggestion. And uh, also, I think it underscores the fact that uh, misogyny was working against Hillary Clinton. I think it's about time we came face to face with that America. No more pretending. Well, it's because, you know, we're sick of the Clintons. Yeah. You remember yeah. that one? That line, you know? Yeah. I bet if Bill Clinton ran against Trump, the numbers would be different. I, Bill Clinton would have won. Yeah. No question. You know, people don't want to face the truth. Yeah. Uh, this, okay, the age category, this goes to Dave Ferris has been telling us. David Ferris comes on the show all the time, political science, uh, scientist, professor at Roosevelt. Uh, he wrote a book um, mm-hmm. about how the youth vote is going Democrat. Uh, so between 18 and 29 years of age, millennials, and what's the next one? Z's. Z's. Uh, Z's. 61% for uh, Biden, 36% for Donnie Trump. This continues a trend that's been going on for a while yeah. uh, where young people are for uh, the Democrats. Between the ages of 30 and 44, the older millennials. Oh, God, the older you get, the dumber you get. 54%. <laughs> uh, we're, we're getting to you. Yeah, I mean, we're, sorry, X, they're X. There's 44-year-olds. We're X. getting to you guys. Oh, 44. If, if you're 44, are you a... Uh, uh, yeah, yes, you're you are. X. You're X. All right. Yes, so... Um, oh, yeah, 50, Gen X. Gen X. So 54%. So it's not bad, you know, but it's not 61%. No. Uh, and then here we go. Teasers. <laughs> These are my these beloved are baby boomers. Yeah. My beloved baby. You guys are worthless. All right. 45 to 64, 51% for Donnie Trump. Yeah. And if you're over 65, also 50, 51%. Ramana, help I, me I, out here. I, I think you need to do a study about how many of those people who supported Trump are actual hippies. Cause I think people who are hippies, they tend to become the most conservative as they grow older. Wow. I mean, I anecdotally, like- I, anecdotally, I do have, <laughs> I do have friends who had parents who were like these like raging hippies in the '60s, and then they became Trump supporters. So I'm just saying. Yeah, and I hear you. I know, I know I, you. I, I know they're all like you know, and and that's going to happen to a lot of millennials too. Trust me. Well, that's what I'm saying. It already. I, I just said it was six from 18 to 29. It was 61 percent for Biden. You go to 30 to 44, it's down to 54. Then you go to geezer country, it's 51 percent. And you're yeah. absolutely right. I'm going to double down on what you said. It's always the people who are most vocal and act like they're the most lefty. They're the ones who turn into. They're the ones who turn into the most conservatives. That's what I've seen anecdotally. Well, I could tell you about baby boomers. It's not going to be my parents. That's what I'm saying. No, but the baby boomers who were in the streets protesting the uh, Vietnam War, many of them, as soon as that draft was over and they weren't exposed, suddenly they were voting for Reagan. Well, Ben, you know, I like his uh, stance on taxation. 
Yeah, baby boomers. That's that's embarrassing. Now there's wait. There's a lot of. I just want to say this. A lot of really great activists who are oh, of course of sixty course. years and older who fought the fight and uh, continuing to fight the fight. Yeah. So I don't mean to throw them all. There's definitely a lot of people who stick with their principles. I'm not saying that. Not everybody, but and a lot people, of them. And, you know, and you know what? People do change. I mean, I'm probably like. I think I look back and I think about how I was in high school and I'm, I think I think about a lot of things. I don't think things are black and white anymore, more gray, but I'd like to think that I pretty much am the same person that I was. Um, or yes, that your core, that you have core convictions. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. And uh, I, I, I've said this many times, the Republican Party has no core convictions. It's just tactics in a larger fight. Uh, but um, anyway, here we move on to uh, race and ethnicity. <laughs> 74% of the voters are white people. And 55% of them, 55% of white people. And I believe this is an undercount, by the way. I believe this is false into the category where Romano was talking about. Well, I'm not going to admit I voted for him. Uh, 55% of white people, undercount in my opinion, voted for Donald John Trump. And it's interesting. 43% uh, voted for uh, Biden. 2% didn't know who they voted for. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, Kanye, maybe Kanye. Yeah, Kanye, yeah, they boy, right? Yeah, the Kanye. All right, Romana, <clears throat> help me out here. What's going on with white people? Fifty-five percent. I don't know. You know, my brother the other day said that he doesn't trust white people. He goes, I don't trust even the white people who live in the city. He goes, I don't trust any white person except maybe Mick. That's except, what he said. Wait, Mick, no, Mick no, not husband. maybe. Except Mick. He's, he didn't <laughs> yeah. put maybe. He didn't put the qualifier in there. <laughs> Except maybe Mick. And I'm still not quite sure about that guy you married. <laughs> Let's throw him under the bus again. Well, well I mean, I, I really, I mean, I'm I, again, I'm not shocked. I mean, there's probably people that I know and that I like, you know, they'll never tell me that they supported Donald Trump, but they did, you know, they'll never say it. But I, I have a feeling with some people, I mean, I have like maybe on my hand that I can count like one or two people um, who are Caucasian who did vote for Donald Trump that I'm actually friends with. But I, I did have a discussion with them, a deep discussion with them. Like I don't shy away from politics. Wait, time out. We, you've yeah. never, you've never acknowledged this to me. This is breaking news. Yeah, the I, did, show. I, did, I did. I did acknowledge it to you maybe once, maybe twice, maybe one person that I know. And I had like a deep discussion about, about it and how I felt about it. So, I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people and especially like a lot of people who have relatives or friends, they don't, they say they don't talk about politics or don't bring it up, but I do. Wait, I'm time out. Uh, yeah. Let's without revealing any names. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You, uh, this person, we've, we, we brought it down to one white person that yeah. you know, that you're friends with <laughs> who is for Trump. All he's, right. He's, he's in law enforcement. I can tell you that. Okay. And, uh, but this was in 2016 and then he didn't want to talk about politics with me again, but I think he was disappointed in Trump. So I don't know. I gotta, I, I'm going to slowly ask him again. Cause he said, I get too emotional with talking about this, but you get too emotional or he gets too emotional. I do. I see. He, but he, of course, is dispassionate when he discusses his love for Trump. No, yeah. So I, I am gonna, I am gonna uh, solely ask him about what he did because he expressed disinterest in Donald Trump in like a few weeks ago. By the way, uh, along this subject of white people voting for Trump, there's a comedian named Earthquake. I don't know if anybody out there other than me likes. I'm a fan of Earthquake. I think he's. Pretty I gotta funny, watch but, him. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Uh, it wasn't a comic bit. 
uh, he did it. I saw it on Instagram, so I couldn't figure out how to play it on the show because I haven't figured that out yet. But he did a bit. Where it wasn't even a bit. He just he just said, "Hey, everybody, earthquake here," and um, it was right after the election. And he goes, "Win or lose, I just want to say uh, how upsetting it is to me as a black man at sixty eight percent of the sixty eight million people voted uh, for Trump. So many of you white people voted for Trump, and you come to my." shows and you laugh at me or you cheer black athletes on or you know you you yeah. love but when push comes to shove this guy's an open racist and you voted yeah. for him yeah well and a lot of people a lot of people who are okay with racism or like turn blinders to it when they look at they're they're okay with african-americans performing you know playing sports for them or singing for them but they they don't want you know it's like they, they, they separate that from what, you know, the real treatment of African-Americans is mm. like, you know, they don't want, they don't want an, a black person in power. But well, they, they don't mind a black person that tells them what they want to hear about race. Exactly. You, you know, uh, but uh, anyway, I urge everybody to check out earthquakes. Uh, it's very powerful stuff. Uh, now we get to the category of African-American or black. Uh, they're according to this 11% of the voters. I said it was 12% at the top of the show, so whatever, 11, 12. Uh, and uh, 90% for Biden, 8% for Trump. And let me just say this before I turn to you for comment. Just as uh, you uh, believe that uh, white people lie about who they're voting for and say uh, they didn't vote for Trump, I believe there's just, uh, a, a fair number of black people who lie and say they did. I've been saying this for four years. Uh, I looked at the cursory study of Chicago's uh, black wards was 97%. So somehow or other, uh, 3% of the vote for Trump, an actual vote that you can count, turns into 8% when you do a poll. And so I don't believe this poll. I just believe it's some guy saying it. He probably didn't even vote. Uh, So whatever. I just want one more time. Maybe it's a joke. Just one more time say, thank you, Black America, for saving us from ourselves again. Yeah. All right, Ramana, your thoughts. Well, you know, I, I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not shocked by those numbers. I'm always shocked to know that there are some um, African-Americans who voted for Trump. But then again, you know, we saw the um, you know, the RNC um, on CNN. Those were the 8%, right? The ones that were all on, you know, touted and taken out and speaking on behalf of, you know, blacks for Trump. Those are those are his supporters. So there's going to be some supporters in, you know, people of color who are supporting Trump. Yeah. By the way, I just like to say um, this before we leave it. Uh, by the way, it's the once again, I'll correct you. It's really three percent, not eight percent, oh, but sorry. whatever. Yeah. Oh, I thought yeah, that's according to well, no, no, they claim from the polls it's eight percent. When I look oh, at Chicago saying, actual. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is, this is Ben's. Uh, yeah. But Ben's age old argument against this, which I've been doing since 2004, when the pollsters told me that 20 percent of black people voted for George W. Bush. 20 mm-hmm. percent. I'm like, no way. No yeah. way. This has been lying going on for a long time. Uh, uh, the uh, next category is Latino or Hispanic. 63% uh, for Biden, 35% for Trump. 
Uh, and uh, so much is made of the uh, Latino vote in Florida. Yeah. And of course, that's a Cuban American vote, folks. That yeah. vote is traditionally Republican. Uh, devil, not all people who speak Spanish are exactly alike. Exactly. Anyway, Ramona. Exactly. And I think that is true. And that's something that we, even me, I need to remember when, I, when we're talking about Latino, because uh, Latino individuals, because Spanish is spoken in so many parts of the world. And um, all these countries are different. All these cultures are different. Um, you know, there's some similarities with some of the cultures. But yeah, being a Cuban American is completely different than being a Mexican American. And I think in Florida, I think there's a large, obviously, large Cuban population. There's also a large uh, Puerto Rican population. And then, you know, I think there's a lot of um, people from Central America as well. And that's completely different than the population that we have of Spanish speaking voters in Chicago, I think, who are mostly Mexican American. And I think the group largest after that is Puerto Rican Americans. I could be wrong, but I know Mexican Americans seem to be the largest. Um, yeah, I think this is a group that a lot of people are going to be paying attention to in the next few years because I think after white voters, the biggest group voting. In the elections, I think this year was Latino Americans or people identify as Latino Americans. And like you said, everybody's experience is different. Um, and even amongst Mexican Americans, there are Mexican Americans who supported uh, Donald Trump. My friend is married to a Mexican American man, and his brother in law, now her brother in law, is, you know, is Mexican American and is a Trump supporter. So, and then my, my, um, I have a friend whose father-in-law is Mexican, and he told me in 2016 that he voted for Trump, even though he didn't like Trump, because he knew that whoever he would put in the Supreme Court would be against abortion. So, and he's like, I, I didn't get that at all. I kind of had like a minor, you know, argument with him. He said he didn't push it that much, but these are just some examples of, you know, people vote differently just because they're a certain group or share the same language doesn't mean they think the same. Yeah. And by the way, uh, just a shout out long conversation on this very topic last night uh, with a good friend of the show, uh, Adolfo Mandragon. He's coming on next week. We're going to do a, a deeper dive on all this. Uh, Joshua Smizer de Leon as well. Uh, this is like a, a favorite topic of conversation on our show and they'll be on talking about it next week. Uh, all right. Uh, this is one near and dear to your heart. Uh, the Asian population, uh, 2% of, by the way, according to this thing, uh, African-Americans are 11% Latino or Hispanic or 10% of the voting, uh, pool. So it's, pretty much the same in terms of yeah. population in terms oh, okay. of votes. Asian, it's 2% mm -hmm. uh, and 70% of Asian Americans voted for Joe Biden. 28% of very confused Asian Americans voted for, I'm sorry, that editorial comment was not necessary. <laughs> very confused Asian Americans lost sense of where they were for a moment. They love Donnie. They love MAGA. They got the little red hats yeah. on, just like the white guys voted exactly. for Donald Trump. Your thoughts, uh, um, Well, Ramana. I think with the, I think with the Asian Americans, um, you know, we're always touted as a mild minority. And then there's been a lot of think pieces written about how Asians always are trying to be close to whiteness as they can. Um, I'm not saying that I'm not explaining that as the reason, but um, I know there's a lot, there is a South Asian support of Donald Trump. Anecdotally, I can tell you, these are supporters who also um, 
are fans of Narendra Modi from India. And that's just anecdotal. There's probably, there's like South Asian Muslims that I know who have like relatives who voted for Trump because of the quote unquote economy. Um, I actually have um, a Filipino uh, American friend from high school who was telling me and another friend that her parents are Trump supporters. Now this person is very left in her politics. And I asked her, you know, what, what got them interested in Donald Trump or what, why they voted for Donald Trump. And she's like, you know, they watched Fox news. And then she mentioned um, the political climate in uh, the Philippines and said that, you know, they're just all about law and order. So they see the Republican party or Donald Trump is all about law and order. So I don't know, Mm. there's different reasons. Again, Asian Americans, um, it's a very diverse group. It's not just like, you know, South Asians, we're just one group. You know, there's Chinese or Japanese, there's Laotian people, there's people from the Philippines. Um, Asia is just like huge, you know, and I think I think within the Asian American category, wouldn't the Middle Eastern people be thrown into that category as well? I'm not sure about that. So if, I, if, if they are, I mean, I think that's not- other. But yeah, oh, maybe that's other. But if yeah. they are thrown into that category, there are a lot of people who are Assyrian Americans who are from the Middle East who are Trump supporters. I, yeah. I can tell you that anecdotally. That's definitely true. So, um, again, Asians are aren't a monolith. There's different groups and there's definitely some people who are more conservative than the rest. But I still think 70 percent is a pretty strong number. Yeah, no, I pretty good. Very good. Good job, Asian Americans. <laughs> I, know, uh, I know we don't get we don't get the pat on the back or acknowledged, but yeah. Well, we're going to have the big uh, religious showdown: uh, Jews oh, versus yeah. Muslims. So that's coming oh, yeah. up. The big showdown. Who won that one? Uh, before we get to that, uh, that's just a little uh, tease of uh, uh, education. Uh, high school or less, twenty seven percent of the population. Fifty two percent of people who uh, uh, have high school or less voted for Donnie Trump, uh, and then college graduates, 56% voted for Joe Biden, postgraduate study, 58%. So in other words, uh, the number of Joe Biden supporters rises with the amount of uh, formal education a person has. Any general thoughts on that, Romano? Um, I guess that's not surprising, but I, I, I don't buy the fact that just because someone doesn't have but I don't think like in every single case <laughs> that just because someone's not as educated, they're going to vote for Donald Trump. I just think it's a little there's just a little more factors played into that. Did they break it down in terms of white people? Yes. Yeah, I would think that white people with just high school diplomas would be for Donald Trump. But I think well, when it comes to other people of color, I don't think necessarily. Well, uh, since you asked, I will tell you. uh the uh, largest group in terms of white voters, education and gender uh, for Trump, white non-college men, 64%, uh, white non-college women, 60%. So, you know, white women for Trump, that was a factor we saw uh, in 2016. And uh, white college women for Biden uh, is 59%. So, there's a correlation between education right there. Uh, white women for Trump. Something I never really understood, Ramana. Um, like obviously women are not a monolith either. So no, there's that. Um, but the guy's an alleged rapist for crying out loud. All right, whatever, moving on. Um, but he's, he's the, he's the alleged racist. I mean, the alleged rapist um, with a certain political view. So that doesn't matter then. 
Yeah, I guess. All right, here in uh, in the heated battle between Jews and Muslims, uh, Jews are th- three. It's like two two populations that are a fraction of the of the, the total population. Three percent Jewish vote, one percent Muslim. Uh, Jewish voters, sixty eight percent for Joey Biden, thirty percent for Trump. Muslim voters, sixty four percent for Biden, thirty five percent for Trump. Wow, Muslim voters for Trump. <laughs> like, I, I told you, I know people who know of people or have a relative. There's, and there's just, there's all. I guess there's always some Trump supporter somewhere. They they mention the economy, which I don't get. But most Muslims that I know have not voted for Donald Trump. I can tell you that. Well, I do know that um, in the, in terms of Jewish voters, uh, there's a big split here. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with Orthodox Jews versus more secular Jews. Yeah, uh, if you take a look, yeah, and if you take a look at the votes out of Chicago, uh, some of the, uh, the the precincts on the Northwest Side, which are heavily Orthodox Jews, went for Trump. Yeah, went flat out went for Trump. Uh, but that means that the overwhelming majority of Jews who are not Orthodox voted for Biden. Uh, and that I, I don't a, get that. I do. What is the correlation? Is it because of Middle East foreign policy? Well, no, I think that uh, Orthodox Jews are like fundamentalists in their world for anti-abortion. So there's uh, the the foreign policy issue on Israel. Donald Trump tried to make a big deal out about that. Uh, We moved the the embassy to Jerusalem, and he thought that would win over, you know, and— I can't believe I just blanked on the, the baby. Uh, Jared Kushner was going around saying, boy, I try to put him out of my mind. I couldn't remember his yeah. name at first. I saw the face. I couldn't see. Uh, I would say, well, hey, Jews, you should vote for uh, Trump. In fact, Donald Trump himself, like, try to make it seem like Jews were disloyal if oh, they yeah. didn't vote for him. It was like a bizarre, really bizarre appeal. Like, why would, who are you? You, you won't even denounce Nazis. So, like, why should any Jew be loyal to you? I don't get that at all. Yeah, I, I, I really have issues with Jewish people voting for uh, Donald Trump. He wouldn't even stand up again. There's good people on both sides of this issue, you know. And, the, and the, just in that, his stupid don't get me started here platinum plan, which somehow or other convinced Ice, Ice Cube, Cube it was a good yeah. idea. I actually read the platinum plan, and one of the things how is like the pa- how like how many pages is the platinum plan don't worry it's not hard to read it's like a comic book it's two pages okay <laughs> and so uh I read, so it's not that big a deal that i read it uh but it it uh in terms of we're gonna get tough we're gonna um treat the kkk as a terrorist organization and then immediately they go and antifa so it's like yeah why must you denounce antifa if like if you're denouncing the KKK, it doesn't even exist, Ramana. You know, it's like, but nope. If I'm going to say something bad about the KKK, I got to throw some like somehow or other to, they're together. So yeah. when you, that's why I don't understand why Jews would vote for, for Donald Trump. Yeah, but I guess I guess the excuse is, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's an excuse or I shouldn't say excuse, but I don't get it either personally. I don't get it. I don't get it either. And I'm sure it's a lot like just some, uh, a lot like ice cube. They like their, uh, no, they like the tax break Muslims. I'm sorry. Maybe there's some, uh, I I don't understand Muslims for Trump. (laughs) I don't get that. There was, there was a group in 2016 called Muslims for Trump. And I remember they had a video and it, and it was being passed around to the, uh, the different Muslims that I know and everybody, he was just kind of laughing at it 
and they're like, who are these? These I'm quoting my friends are like, who are these losers? You know, and um, it's the same thing. I mean, we don't even have uh, Donald Trump doesn't even have a Muslim son-in-law. So and he wants him. He had a, he it, it proposed a Muslim ban. But I think the you know, a lot of people are similarly for anybody who's Mexican-American and Donald Trump, you know, describing Mexicans as rapists and, you know, murderers. Um it's the same kind of logic. I think a lot of Muslims are confused as to why anybody that's Muslim would want to vote for Donald Trump. But I can only, the only thing I can think is if someone has a lot of money or they want to, you know, yeah. they're one of the quote unquote good Muslims, you know, that a, a lot of people, Americans describe when there's someone who's kind of a sellout. Um, so I don't know. I don't get it either. I, I, I'm more perplexed by a person of color or a Muslim or a Jewish person who votes for Trump than I am with a white person. I know some of my, my white friends are like, well, we don't think white people should be voting for Donald Trump either. But listen, a lot of you guys did vote for Donald Trump. So. Yeah, that's the understatement of the century. <laughs> <laughs> that is the understatement of the century. All right. Uh, I could go through these categories forever. Let's move on to some local news. You and I spent so much of the last year talking about uh, Smollett gate and um, Kim Fox, the Cook County state's attorney. Well, she won. Uh, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. I think she got 54% of the vote, something like that, uh, which is a landslide compared to uh, Joe Biden. Um, so are we finally done talking about Smollett gate? Is that finally in the rearview mirror, Romana? No, no. I think people will still talk about it. I think there's still a, uh, an interest in the case. Every time we do a story on the case, it blows up on the internet, according to um, the, those those um, coworkers who keep tabs on that. And even I, as the editor, sometimes will be like, "Well, nothing really happened in the case," but I'm kind of pushed by other my bosses who say, "Oh my God, no, these Smollett stories do well <laughs> online." And I think people still care about it. I think there's nothing wrong with paying attention to it. I don't. I I personally don't have to watch i mean i do personally i guess because this is who i am as an editor but as a news consumer it's not that compelling to me but i do i do want to know what the outcome of the um you know the, the special prosecution and what exactly happened with the case i'm interested in knowing the outcome of it yeah i, 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 I don't think i don't think it's going to be over i think i think I think, you know, there's obviously different camps. There's some people who don't think it's like, you know, something that they want to even pay attention to or hear about. But there's just some people who like, you know, they, they like Kim Fox. They they agree with most of her politics and they think she's doing a good job. But they do think that she should be held accountable for what happened with this particular case. Yeah. I, that's an obvious. It's not, it's not enough for them to not vote for her. That's what I'm that's saying. That sums me up. That's yeah. how, that's where I was. That's I exactly where I was. Yeah. I was like, you, you really blew it on that one, Kim Fox. Uh, you know, I think she just basically was doing a favor for a powerful Democrat. Uh, but it's definitely not enough, in my humble opinion, uh, to uh, oust you, uh, particularly when you are making, in my opinion, like the strides we need to make towards something resembling criminal justice. So... Uh, but it was an embarrassment and it hurt the cause. <laughs> and I have to admit, this is so embarrassing. Yeah, I'm kind of into the story. There's something about Smollett Gate that just... That's okay. Yeah, okay, thank you. There's nothing to, <laughs> to be ashamed about. Kind of ashamed. Kind you, of you didn't vote for Donald Trump. For no, no, did not vote for him. <laughs> He's a secret Trump supporter. <laughs> all, am I alone in this booth? 
I actually took a, you know what? I was worried about that. So I took a picture <laughs> of my uh, uh, ballot, which uh, I have, have that photograph. Anybody uh, doubts me, including that my. So, that is so funny because when I voted, and obviously I can't say who I voted for, but I'm sure a lot of people can take a guess. I kept looking at my ballot like five times. I'm like, did I, did I, did I make a mistake? Did I, I, I yes. just look at it over and over again. For president, I'm looking at my, I'm looking at my ballot right now. I did the same thing. I took a picture of it, but that that fair tax thing was so freaking confusing. I was so worried about. I was breaking into a sweat, uh, and uh, so I have my picture right here of the yes for fair tax and uh, yeah, Joey Biden and Kamala. Uh, yeah, I kept this forever. Our good friend of the show, uh, Kennedy D. Ken Davis, uh, he took a picture as well. He put his on Facebook. Uh, very proud to say uh, uh, that, uh, you know, who he voted for. I'm with you, Kenny D, on that one. Uh, all right. Uh, in the category of who ran the most blatantly racist campaign, uh, <laughs> I think it's a tie between Jim Oberweiss running against Lauren Underwood, and I'm really rooting for Lauren Underwood, uh, and Pat O'Brien, who ran against um, uh, Kim Fox with his Save Chicago I, I don't think I've been offended by a political slogan as much as Pat O'Brien's save Chicago. Yeah. Like, who the hell are you? You're not saving Chicago. And what are, what are you saving us from? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. And a lot of, th- a lot of people would basically say it's a dog whistle, right? So it's yeah. just a really big dog whistle for, you know, saving Chicago and, you know, people, Whenever they want to, you know, use the same dog whistle, they say stuff about comparing Chicago to Detroit. Yes. And so that's a very common dog whistle that we hear. You don't want Chicago to have, you know, you don't want Chicago to become Detroit kind of, you know, phraseology. So. Oh, my God. Did I get I emails and letters in the 90s? I was your pen. If you get your way, Chicago's going to be Detroit because I was against Mayor Daly. God forbid I write a critical column about Mayor Daly. So I know all about Chicago's. Uh, but it's not really a dog whistle. I say it's more like an air raid siren. OK, uh, I mean, it's like not even uh, being uh, shy about it. Uh, all right, uh, bef- we're ready to move on for politics and uh, talk about Romano's recommendations. Uh, try to. <laughs> all I did this week was watch the elections. I've had the TV on, so I have. I, I was going to start your uh, French comedy. Oh, uh, so call my agent, but I yes. haven't. But I did watch. I did watch. I um, did watch Forty Year Old Version. I watched that with Mick, and he did like it. He, he said it was his favorite movie of the year. And wow. so far, um, and I did watch uh, the Sofia Coppola movie um, mm. on the rocks. Which is, is that worth it, watching? I think it was worth watching. I don't with think Rashida it was like Jones. Best. I thought I didn't think it was her best effort, but I thought it was good. I thought it was like entertaining enough to watch. I don't know what I'm going to watch now. I might have to watch your Sophia Loren movie. Oh, I'm so in. Well, okay, that's a baby boomer thing, and I uh, I she's love. Even, Sof- she's even older than a baby boomer. But yes. But when when baby boomers were young, she was like a superstar, and she take like out of that sentence, yeah. Oh, okay. uh, Sophia Loren. When baby boomers, ah, when baby boomers were young, it was the nineteen sixties, and Sophia Loren was an international superstar, absolutely beautiful. Raquel Welch, Sophia Loren, uh, and uh, so I grew up loving Sophia Loren. Plus, her politics are great. She's always been a lefty. And yeah, so she's made a new movie. It's on Netflix. I'm definitely going to watch it. Her son, uh, her son directed it, by the way. Yes. 
I, I read that in Richard Roper's column. That's how I knew that. Yeah. Biggest life. It's called, I'm going to watch it. I'm, I watched and I talked, I've talked about it excessively. Uh, the, the queen's game at the chess, uh, movie. I heard about that. I heard it was good too. Oh my goodness. It's not a movie. It's a series. It's so wonderful. And, um, I really got, uh, enjoyed it immensely. And I'm kind of like, you know, I have that hangover Romano when a really good show ends and you're kind of like, now what am I going to do? You know, that's kind of where I am right now. Well, I'm, I'm like there that right now too, but I'm going to go towards your recommendation. It's going to be pose or call my agent agent. So I don't know. Hopefully I'll start that after, like I, like I said, I've been just watching election stuff. Um, last night I did watch an episode of the Kardashians as a cleansing palette. <laughs> <laughs> I should, I know, I know I've, I've been a Kardashian fan, so that's, it's nothing I'm not embarrassed about or anything like that, but I was telling my friends, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go watch the Kardashians and they do too. Some of them have stopped. And I was like, I, you know, it's such a stupid show, but it's just, it's just like mindless. By the so way, did, did, did you ever see Ryan Murphy's movie about OJ, uh, his series about OJ? Not the, there, there was the, uh, it's the fictitious, the dramatic version of the OJ. Yeah, yeah. David David Schwimmer played. Yes. Uh, and uh, he played Rob Kardashian. Yeah. 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 Uh, have you seen that? No, I haven't. Oh, well, that's, I enjoyed that immensely. I'm a little embarrassed to say. But he brings in, you know, uh, Ryan Murphy could not resist himself. He brings in the Kardashians as little kids. Oh, they, so you like, know, they, they did come into the courtroom during the um, trial. I did not know that. Yeah, because, oh, I know you're going to laugh at this, but I was watching David Letterman's interview with Kim Kardashian, um, his new, like, you know how he has that series on yeah. Netflix? So um, he has Dave Chappelle, and I think the new the new um, season has Kim Kardashian, so I was watching it, and she mentioned, because, you know, her mom was friends with um, Nick, uh, what was Nicole, her Brown. Nicole Brown, and so, you know, her parents were taking sides on this matter. And so he basically brought the kids to watch the trial one day. And, uh, and the mom was pretty mad about it. Chris Jenner was pretty mad. Yeah. By the way, that's all in the Ryan Murphy movie. No. He, Ryan Murphy did that player. I just don't remember them coming into the courtroom, but maybe they just in the Well, you know, they were, they were pretty young when that happened, yeah. but they, they, they were on TV. I think they said that you could see them, but uh, yeah. go ahead. But that's just a fascinating time in history. And now Kim Kardashian's, a, the Kardashian's a celebrity. And yeah, I admit, I do watch the show. Uh, listen, the season, so. Kardashian credit. The one good thing that Donnie Trump did, oh. his criminal justice reform, uh, was based on a phone call or two that he got from Kim Kardashian. So she deserves all the accolades for the one good thing Donald Trump did in four years. She, the one good thing. She did get get the release of uh, certain people who were sentenced unfairly. Yeah, first step program, which was a mini step toward criminal justice fairness. And it was all based on a phone call from Kim Kardashian. And then Kanye went in there and Trump well, and Kanye. Just so you know, since we're talking about the presidential election, Kanye tweeted Kanye 2024. <laughs> I, so, so. I saw that. <laughs> Delusion. <laughs> All right, Ramana Hussein, thank you so much. Uh, you better get, get start right, watching Call My Agent. A word of warning, it's in uh, French, with That's okay. and they talk fast. But That's I, okay. I, I talk fast, and I speak another language, too, so it's fine. I, I think you're really going to love it. Not sure if your husband will love it, but I'm really sure you're going to love it. Oh, I'll uh, watch it with him. When I watch okay. shows without him, I go through them quick. Oh, okay, all right. Involved. All right, excellent. Thank you very much, Romana. Stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you next week, okay? Okay, you guys take care. Bye. All right, that's a great Romana saying every Friday in the Ben Jarosky Wait, Romana, show. oh, oh.
I was going to suggest she watch Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> uh, Missed it. I'll make that suggestion uh, for next week. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, any updates, Steve, before we head out the door? I only have one update, and it's on that one election, Illinois, that is still on Friday, still too close to call. It's time for a final look at our 2020 Illinois election results. Your 2020 Illinois general election results. And I swear to God, if this 14th congressional district battle between Jim Oberweiss and Lauren Underwood isn't over by Tuesday, oh my God, we're going to have words. Oh, there's the brown line. All right. As vote counting continues, this comes from the Daily Herald, by the way. As vote counting continues in Illinois, the Republican challenger Jim Oberweiss's lead over incumbent Democrat Lauren Underwood in the 14th congressional district race keeps shrinking. Meanwhile, both camps have acknowledged a discovery recount that would allow a losing candidate to examine a percentage of ballots is possible. That data can be used to legally contest the election. I have some more here. Uh, with the Associated Press totals updated last Thursday night, uh, Oberweiss was ahead 189,489 votes to 188,861, a difference of 268 votes. Uh, that's what unofficial results showed. The, that margin is 88 fewer votes than it was earlier that afternoon, 265 fewer than on Wednesday, and 2,421 fewer than on Election Day. More numbers. Get ready, guys. As of late Thursday, Oberweiss, a state senator from Sugar Grove, had less than 50.1% of the vote. Underwood, a first-time congresswoman from Naperville, has more than 49.9%. So it's still going yeah i uh i was so upset when i saw uh, d the uh, election results uh, what was it wednesday morning God, i've lost track of time and it said 100 percent of the vote in so and, and overrise was ahead well 100 percent is 100 percent but <laughs> apparently there were it was not really 100 percent. there was still outstanding vote that they're counting i don't know how many votes are left to be counted uh, they're down to 268 difference um there is a story that broke yesterday. Uh, Dave Wasserman, who uh, is uh, chronicles uh, elections, f uh, I think for, for political. I'm like, no, the I'm not sure who he works for. Uh, but uh, anyway, he had projected uh, that, in his humble opinion, uh, Lauren Underwood would end up being victorious because the outstanding vote uh, is in districts or uh, precincts coming from precincts that supported her. So. Uh, you know, that made me feel good for a moment because everybody knows I'm rooting for uh, Lauren Underwood and I, everybody knows I think Jan Oberweiss ran a very racist campaign and that uh, he should be ashamed of himself. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm hoping that on Tuesday, D, uh, we'll be uh, reporting. We will not be done with 2020 updates and that last update will be it. Lauren Underwood is victorious. But uh, as you pointed out, no matter who prevails, there will be a recount. So this this baby's dragging on for a little while come on underwood let's win that election and hey when that's all said and done there's a seat with your name on it over here in this bus that we got going on here you know what <laughs> yeah. i mean ben yeah i don't know if lauren underwood's got lauren underwood's got enough problems uh just getting reelected. Uh, i'm not sure she's gonna hop on that michael joseph madigan's gotta go bus by the way before we go you on or off bud come on uh, 
what's Will Cazardi doing? Uh, uh, He's not on uh, this one. Uh, no. Uh, now nah, I'm on the bus right now. Okay, I'm oh, on the bus right now. Okay. Yeah, but let's see where I am on Tuesday. Okay, the, um, I could do another. <laughs> 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 Our host, ladies and gentlemen. I was driving that bus in 2018, okay? Don't forget that, D, huh? Uh, uh, uh. Just want to do the ha, 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 ha thing. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much uh, to Ramana Hussein. Outstanding job as always. She was fired up and ready to go. And uh, she gave me the homework assignment for the week. How about that, D? And I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible, as Jim Overoyce and Lauren Underwood agree. Back home in Alton. They call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.